We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and World Team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Well, greetings. This is Hampton Keithley and Bob Brandon, and we are continuing in our discussion of our core beliefs. Uh-huh. And you said <laughs> you said our core. Oh, you see, you're coming around. <laughs> Okay, they were talking about Bob's core beliefs, and I agree with most of them. <laughs> um, oh, boy. And today we're going to finish talking about the COVID-19 is a man-made part of a worldwide takeover. There are many people smarter than Bob. And, <laughs> Good one. And Good the, one. Uh, the ultimate key to truth is the issue of source. There you go. So... COVID is man-made, and it's part of a worldwide takeover. There are many people, like as in most, smarter than me. The ultimate key to truth is source. So let's weave those into our conversation. But let me start this way. What a fantastic statement in the scriptures that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I just love that. But let me delve into that a little bit because the phrase, the fear of the Lord, you know, gets discussed. What exactly does that mean? Right. We've covered this a little bit before. I'm going to use the same example because you know where we're coming from the last couple uh, podcasts on core beliefs. We've really woven the subject of hermeneutics throughout those discussions. So <clears throat> this is a hermeneutics issue. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 19. But any beginning Bible student needs to learn right off the bat, Hebrew poetry, the, the nuts and bolts of that is fairly simple. The dominant structure of Hebrew poetry is parallelism. Right. And, and there are like nuances to that. Like, you know, raw parallelism where they're basically saying the same thing twice in a row, but nuanced with a little different vocabulary. So you get a sharper picture, but there can be antithetical parallelism where they're saying one thing and then the opposite thing. Right. So, but this is parallel in uh, Psalm 19. Um, Verse one begins like this. The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky, the displays his handiwork day after day it speaks out night after night it reveals his greatness there's no actual speech or word nor is its voice literally heard yet its voice echoes throughout the earth its words carry to the distant horizon in the sky he's pitched a tent for the sun like a bridegroom it emerges from its chamber like a strong man It enjoys running its course. It emerges from the distant horizon and goes from one end of the sky to the other. Nothing can escape its heat. So those first six verses in a general way describe the effect and power of what we call general revelation. Mm -hmm. Like, Like you can know just from God's creation, plenty of things about him. The key, the central passage for all of that, we refer to often, that's Romans chapter one. But the second half of the Psalm reads like this. The law of the Lord is perfect and preserves one's life. 
the rules set down by the Lord are reliable and impart wisdom to the inexperienced. So let's pause there for a second. Now, did that not sound parallel to you? Mm -hmm. Almost exactly parallel, right? The law of the Lord is parallel to the rules set down. And then there's benefits described in each case. So here's verse eight. The Lord's precepts are fair and make one joyful. The Lord's commands are pure and give insight for life. That sounds parallel to me, right? The Lord's precepts Mm -hmm. is parallel with the Lord's commands. Okay, verse nine, the commands to fear the Lord are right and endure forever. Literally, that reads, so that's that's a good instance of uh, your translation principles. But the literal reading of that, straight from the Hebrews, the fear of the Lord. Right. Let's read it that way, just for our purposes here. The fear of the Lord is right and endures forever. Next line, the judgments given by the Lord are trustworthy and absolutely just. Are those two parallel? Sure sounds like it. And they're, in fact, those are parallel with the last couple of verses. So in, my point is this, all of those are saying the same thing. The law of the Lord, the rules, the Lord's precepts, the Lord's commands, the fear of the Lord. So if we interpret it that way, is David equating the fear of the Lord with the words of God? It would seem so. Sure would seem so. So then back to our initial statement, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Doesn't it sound like the Bible should be your foundation? Right. For every, I think that, I think that's the point. That's what, you know what, that's a proverb, but which one, do you remember what verse? No, I don't. I'm terrible with chapter and verse. I always have been. I got to work on that. But there is another uh, wisdom verse, Proverbs 4, 7. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. (laughs) That's almost my favorite. As a coach, that's almost my favorite one. My my favorite one, right? You got to, in other words, you're not going to gain any wisdom by sitting around watching TV or goofing off. Or in other words, not working at it. The beginning of wisdom is work hard to get it. It's not just going to be automatically beamed into you. You got to yeah. work. You got to work for it, right? So the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. <laughs> the reason I'm elaborating on that stuff is <clears throat> we had a conversation this weekend. I'll refer to it. Um, in short, but I want to stress the point how important it is to all of us in the household of faith to build a paradigm in your mind, I guess I would say, of wisdom. Like you've got to have some superstructure to your mind that's built on the scriptures to fill to in order to enable you to discern uh, the heart of a matter mm-hmm. and, and make the correct choices. So second Corinthians famous passage, right? Second Corinthians 10. If your Bible was not so small print Hampton, I could turn, find these passages faster. I'll get you a large print with no notes. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. I got to take my glasses off to read this. Where's the verse? Oh, yeah. Um, We tear down argument. Well, let me back up. Let me go to verse 3. For though we live as human beings, we do not wage war according to human standards. For the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons, but are made powerful by God for tearing down strongholds. We tear down arguments and every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. 
Man, that's powerful. How about, did you notice any parallelism in there? I kind of did as I was reading. Remember, Paul grew up reading Hebrew poetry. So right. it affects how he writes. You know, you can often see parallelism in Paul's thought. Uh, lots, lots of chiastic structures. Lots of chiasm. Yes. If you ever find a good book that points out the chiasms in the Bible, it's really helpful. Um, not that it changes the content of what you're reading. It allows you to see the emphasis so clearly of what you're reading. Yeah. So he says, uh, let's see, for though we live as human beings, we don't wage war according to human standards. The weapons of our warfare are not human weapons, but are made powerful by God for tearing down strongholds. We tear down arguments. So is that parallel? Tearing down strongholds, we tear down arguments. Mm -hmm. So in other words, Paul is seeing the world. He's seen two worlds at once. He's seen the spiritual, what we might call the spiritual world and what we might call like the, he calls it, you know, the human world, right? The electromagnetic world that we all live in and so on. So there's both of those at the same time. And the real strongholds are the false beliefs. Right. So, well, that became very evident when we did our Truman book. Yeah. Didn't it? That that's what we were attempting, you know, following Truman to tear down. And uh, so I had this conversation this weekend. It, you know, it was about the COVID stuff. Very intelligent woman that I was speaking with. But for the life of me, in my opinion, just couldn't see the light of day. She was, and she, this is a field that's tangential to hers. So she's well-versed in, in biology, maybe not virology so much, but biology for sure. And, you know, referred often to some close friends she has that are doctors and, you know, that also hold the same view she does. And um, in the course of that, she was belittling my, she's gentle, you know, (laughs) so she's a dear woman, but uh, she's just, her point, part of her point was just that I could find any fringe crackpot thing I wanted to on the internet, that that's how she viewed my view was that I was a fringe guy and I, I didn't really know the world of virology, which I freely admit that's one of our core beliefs today. There are many people smarter than me, particularly in virology. But um, anyway, she, she just kept saying, Bob, you can find any, anything on the internet. It, what you're telling me is just, fringe lunatic stuff those are my words but that's what she was communicating fringe lunatic stuff from the internet so i said well could i find your view on the internet you know if you're going to disqualify every view because it was garnered from the internet number one that's really not where my view came from i read about my view i didn't just google it but regardless her views on the internet too. In fact, it's the dominant view on the internet. So if she's going to disqualify my view because it's on the internet, she's going to have to disqualify her own. And then I pointed out to her that quite often in history, in fact, I'm not sure I know of any counter examples, the, the uh, dominant view has been wrong. And, and changed over time, right? Based on right. Inf- information being released. Like for instance, I, I heard this uh, last night, a guy was talking about a show I was listening to. He was talking about the Kennedy assassination and right, the dominant view, oh, this guy shot him, you know, in Dallas, blah, blah, blah. Mm, that's, it wasn't Dallas for sure. That guy they pinned it on, doesn't look over time like that was the guy that did it right there's all this information coming out right so that was a dominant view for a long long time and the it sure looks like the minority view is correct on that so <laughs> it doesn't bother me that my views in the minority but one other thing that that happened in the course of that conversation which is why I went to the verses I did to begin our podcast today 
I was communicating the fact that it sure looks like this stuff is the result of vaccinations for decades. You know, the last 40 years, if you've been vaccinated, you've got some of this stuff in you, if not all of this stuff in you. And that the disease was primarily the result of these vaccinations. Like in other words, there's not a SARS-CoV-2 virus floating around that you're catching when someone sneezes. That's not my view of the illness that's going around. I understand there's nuances to all these things, but so anyway, she goes on to say, after I had said that, how many vaccines she's had in the last so many years, you know, I took her to mean, you know, five to six years, she travels internationally and so on. And she was desperately sick with COVID. Now, isn't that exactly what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right. You've been vaccinated so many times you have that stuff in you. That's why she she was really sick for quite some time, you know, six months. And uh, that just bounced off her. It, it could not penetrate the scaffolding of her mind. And so that, that's why I began. It's so important to seek wisdom and build through the scriptures a um, a sharpness, right? Of a viewing of the world that's accurate to God's word. Like for instance, I mean, how many people think we evolved? Right. Quite a few, and they're they're dead wrong on that, and that will skew your thinking on so many subjects because you didn't filter it through the scriptures. You understand what I'm saying, right? So anyway, that's how I wanted to start out. Um, So back to some of the core beliefs today, COVID's man-made and it's part of a worldwide takeover. So I'm going to refer to what we've been reading uh, maybe the last two times. Uh, This is, JFK's nephew. So this is RFK, Robert F. Kennedy, which, you know, we know his famous dad, Bobby Kennedy. So this is Bobby Kennedy's son. So uh, RFK Jr. and his book is called The Real Anthony Fauci. I recommend it to everybody. Not that he's right on every statement. He himself, you know, is far, far left in his politics, which which makes reading it interesting. Almost every sentence in this book is footnoted. I mean, this is just research. And, and really, this has been his life. He, he's been the head of the Children's Defense Fund for, boy, just, just about the same amount of time Fauci's been head of the NAIAD. So they, they, they've butted heads hundreds of times in court over these issues. So it's very, very well researched. So just letting our listeners know, any statement in here that's a critical statement of fact, there's a footnote to it. So he, he's not postulating the data. You, you can figure out you know, what's his opinion and what isn't, but the facts are all, all footnoted. So where I wanted to start today, we'll look at a couple different sections by him. But where I wanted to start today was his detailing of Gates taking over the press. So think how how much the, you know, he, he calls it here the press. My, my term for it is the mainstream media, right? Whether it's through the TV or through the press or through magazines. So I just use the catch-all phrase, mainstream media. Think how much that affects your perception. Even when you guard against it, it's almost like you still have to breathe that air. Even though you're filtering out quite a bit of it, you're still breathing it. So uh, mm-hmm. let me give an example of that before I read Kennedy, because this is important. So one of the ways the press manipulates your view is their vocabulary. 
for certain things. They're, they're word choices. They're all programmed this way. You, you can't hear uh, a mainstream news broadcast or a cable broadcast that isn't programmed in, in how they explain certain ideas. So for instance, when a police officer shoots a victim, right, a, a perpetrator, Mm -hmm. uh, they will say a white officer shot a, a black person. Right. If, in, if that's the case. Now, they don't lie about that, but that's how they say that. If a black officer shoots a black perpetrator, they say a police officer shot a, a black victim. So if it's white, you get called white. If it's black, you just call, get called a police officer. So after you've heard that for a few years, what do you start to conclude? I mean, don't, don't you start yeah. to think it's, it's the it's white guy. It's, that, always, it's always the white guy shooting a black guy. The actual facts on that are 100% opposite. Four times more often a black officer shoots a black perpetrator than a white officer does four times more often. I think but I heard too that, that even if it's a Latino or whatever officer yeah, that they yes. label them white. They fudge on that. They fudge on that, but that's how it works. <laughs> so that you begin without you even thinking you begin to pick that up in your mind. So huge players in the world stakes learned very early on in their careers that if you could control the media, you could control people's perceptions of what you were doing. So here's Robert F. Kennedy's Jr.'s take on uh, Bill Gates and the press. Pillar and Smith's Los Angeles Times expose on Gates's calamitous African adventure is an artifact of an expired era. Investigative journalism of this probative quality is a quaint relic of a time when editors and producers still permitted their reporters and correspondents to express skepticism toward Gates even before the open censorship of the COVID epic, US media reports about Gates's charities operated in the narrow range between obsequious fawning and adulation. <laughs> this is no accident. By 2006, the tsunami of advertising revenues from pharmaceutical firms, about 4.8 billion, annually, that was in 2006, had already drowned out most of the voices of vaccine dissent in mainstream media. By 2020, those expenditures grew to 9.53 billion. That's how much pharmaceutical companies spend a year on the mainstream media. That's a lot. And who owns massive stakes in all those companies? Bill Gates. Right. But then he's going to donate personally. So that's what we're going to get into. After the devastating Los Angeles Times piece, Gates moved aggressively to neutralize the once independent press with compromising grants that struggling news organizations can't refuse. An August 2020 expose by Tim Schwab in the Columbia Journalism Review showed how Gates dispensed at least $250 million in grants to media outlets, including NPR, Public Television, that's PBS, The Guardian, The Independent, BBC, Al Jazeera, ProPublica, The Daily Telegraph, The Atlantic, The Texas Tribune, Gannett, Washington Monthly, Le Monde, The Financial Times, The National Journal, Univision Medium, and The New York Times to dampen journalistic appetites for, well, journalism. Right. 
I heard just yesterday, I think, that Steve Jobs's wife, widow, owns the Atlantic. Well, there you go. And we, we know who owns the Washington Post. That's Bezos, right? Yeah. So. And Zucker has some media outlet. I'm not sure which. Yeah. Well, his and his his company is a media outlet, right? Facebook. So he this uh, RFK goes on to say, in fact, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation finances the Guardian's entire global development section. That shrewd investment presumably or presumably earned the couple this February 14th, 2017 Guardian headline. How Bill and Melinda Gates helped save 122 million lives and what they want to solve next. That's the headline that they paid for. Mm. So the Guardian calls Gates and his partner, William Buffett, Superman and Batman. Next paragraph. The foundation has also invested, when he says the foundation, that's Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, has also invested invested millions in journalism training and in researching effective ways of crafting media narratives to support Gates's global ambitions. Gates, for example, gave grants totaling nearly one and a half million from 2015 through 2019 to the Center for Investigative Reporting, apparently to discourage investigative reporting. <laughs> According to the Seattle Times, experts coached in Gates-funded programs write columns that appear in media outlets from the New York Times to the Huffington Post, while digital portals blur the line between journalism and spin. Well, Gates I think don't a lot of those big media outlets produce articles that then are trickle down and are used by yes, smaller yes. town newspapers and TV shows and all of that. Yes, that's right. The Gates Foundation frequently hosts strategic media partners meetings at its headquarters in Seattle. Representatives from the New York Times, The Guardian, NBC, NPR, and the Seattle Times all attended, for instance, a 2013 convocation. The aim of the event, wrote Tom Paulson, Seattle-based reporter, was to improve the narrative of media coverage of global aid and development, highlighting good news stories rather than tales of waste or corruption. That same year, the Gates Foundation gave marketing colossus Ogilvy & Mather, a global public relations firm, 100,000 grant for a project titled Aid is Working. Tell the world. So, and then the next phase of this is you, we've all seen this on the internet. You, you'll see this on the on the news broadcasts from time to time, where someone is quote fact checked. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, there's the wolf guarding the hen house. But Gates has also made large strategic investments in Pointer. That that's a company and international network of fact-checking organizations, which dutifully debunks virtually every public statement that seems critical of Gates. So, you know, they pour their so resources. That, that goes in. back to check your source. <clears throat> yes. The ultimate key to truth is the issue of source. Exactly. And, and it's almost impossible to escape. I mean, you can, but you really have to work hard to escape Gates and Fauci as sources of what you're hearing or seeing in the vaccine world, in the world of, well, in the world of virology as a whole. You, and there are plenty of statements in this book just to that effect. You, you almost can't escape their grip. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you're working in any government institution, um, in, in like Health and Human Services, FDA, any, you know, all these things, right? The NIH, the NAIAD, and so on. You're working for Fauci. <clears throat> and, and the way you're doing that is, we'll get into this a, li a little bit more in a minute, but so, well, I'll just hold off until that. But he controls the purse strings. 
to almost all those institutions. And, and you're saying, well, how? How could the NA, like infectious disease, how could that control the FDA and so on? It's because the money, the congressional budget designates the money towards the NAI infectious disease, right? We mm -hmm. have to fight Zika. So here's $10 billion. That doesn't go to NIH. That goes to Fauci. And then he d will distribute plenty of it to the NIH and so on. All that to say, if you just imagine all those government entities as a spider web, and he's the Black Widow. They all get their funding from him through mm -hmm. the Congress, but it goes through Fauci. So, and then all the advertising dollars and support for a lot of the research comes from either Gates directly through his uh, quote charitable stuff or through the pharmaceutical companies that he also owns. So here's another important step in it, this process. It's another chapter, but I just wanna point out this fact to our listeners. Most medicinal products cannot get licensed without first undergoing randomized placebo-controlled trials that compare health outcomes, including all-cause mortalities in medicated versus unmedicated cohorts. So let me clarify what that's saying. So RFK here is saying that almost any medicine, you know, to go to market has to first have a placebo controlled study that's blinded. So in other words, the doctors have a group, two groups of patients that we're, they're working with. One group gets the medicine, the other group doesn't, but the doctor doesn't know which group is which, neither do the patients know which group is which. That's a placebo-controlled double-blind study. That's, you know, you'll see Nate titles for that referred to as like the, that's the gold standard for whether your product can be brought to the public and marketed. Is That's how you prove your product's effective. Right. Okay. Listen to this. Tellingly, in March 2017, I met with Dr. Fauci, Francis Collins, and a White House referee, and separately with Peter Marks from CBER at the FDA, to complain that HHS Health and Human Services was by then mandating 69 doses of 16 vaccines for America's children. So I'm not at the end of the sentence, but I'm going to break in there. <clears throat> so what you know, bringing up a kid in America now, say you, you give birth to your child tomorrow. Well, in their first few years, they're going to get, if you take them to a doctor, they're going to get 16 different vaccines, but many of those in double and triple doses. So for a total of 69 doses of vaccines. Wow. Okay. That's what they call the schedule. Mm -hmm. Right. You're, you're going to get the polio, the mumps, the measles, the flu stuff, etc. But those are the numbers for that. 16 different vaccines, 69 total doses. So here he is meeting at the White House with Fauci, Francis Collins, and he's going to say, to complain that the HHS was by then mandating 69 doses of 16 vaccines for America's children, none of which had ever been tested for safety against placebos prior to licensing. None of which. Wow. Isn't that startling? Now, wait, wait, do you hear this? Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins denied that this is true and insisted that those vaccines were safety tested. They were unable, however, after several weeks to provide us a citation for a single clinical trial using an inert placebo against a vaccine. So the first thing Fauci and Collins do is lie. Yeah. Right? Oh, oh no, we've, we've tested all those. 
okay, we'll give you a couple of weeks. You just send us the test results. Don't have them. It was never done. Now, why do you suspect that wasn't done? They don't care. They know no, it doesn't work. They, they know it's not. They know it's harmful. Yeah. That's why. So, but yeah, that doesn't care. Of course, they, what they care, it's, it's not so much they don't care. I don't think Fauci or Collins or Gates, you know, hey, I really enjoy that, that that kid was killed. I, I don't suspect that that's their mindset. It's that they probably never even asked themselves that question what they want. And I'll show this later on. You're not going to believe what we're going to get to. Um, but what, what they're interested in is the power. It's, it's the money to control everything. So that I don't even think they look at the results other than to see how they can manipulate that in order to pass it. Mm-hmm. But, but they're not interested in how many kids die. Or are terribly injured. So anyway, let me finish out this little section. So in October 2017, Dale Bigtree, you heard of him? That name sounds familiar. Yeah, he, do, he does a lot. He has a podcast on, it's just almost all on vaccines. Okay. He, he's a journalist. But I'll tell you, you listen to this stuff for enough years, you start to know the field. And uh, he's a good guy to listen to. Dale Bigtree and Aaron Siri who both attended these meetings, joined me in suing the HHS under the Freedom of Information Act to produce the long-promised safety studies. Ten months after the meeting with Fauci and Collins on the courthouse steps, HHS admitted that we were, in fact, correct. None of the mandated childhood vaccines had been tested for safety in pre-licensing inert placebo tests. The best of Bill Gates' African vaccines are all on this list. And he had spent, I've obviously not read every word of this book to you, right? But he spends chapters on, on the vaccines in Africa that Gates does. They're horrible. Hmm. So the best of Bill Gates' African vaccines are all on the list. But Bill Gates also uses a large retinue of much more dangerous and demonstrably ineffective vaccines in Africa, ones that Western countries have actually rejected because of their dire safety signals. So uh, because Gates and Fauci suffer the same allergy to funding studies that examine the effectiveness of their vaccines, in improving health and reducing mortality. Neither man has ever offered empirical evidence to support their pivotal claim that their vaccines have saved millions of lives. There is no evidence of that. Isn't that stunning? Yeah. So back to- Well, I I think it was a few weeks back, um, I saw something that Dr. Artis Uh Fauci said, I think it was about remdesivir that the studies show that it was, you know, really helpful with Ebola and we're going to, you know, approve it for us. And so this doctor artist went and looked up the actual studies he signed. And, and they're terrible. I bet it, and they, it and they proved him. the, they proved the opposite. Of yes. What, so, you know, people don't read footnotes. No, they don't. It's, it's unbelievable. This, and what these guys learned Hampton was make the statement in the arena that you control. So they'll go out to a news outlet, which, whichever one they pick, and make the same similar to what you just cited, right? Oh, we've we found this vaccine to be safe and effective. Before any of the studies are released to other scientists, they will say that. So that anybody who comes, you know, actually reads the thing and is aghast at how terrible these things are, now you're swimming upstream because the public has already heard that they're safe and effective. So then when you say they're not safe, the public goes, oh, you're a fringe guy. You've you've got some bone to pick or you're mad at Fauci. No, they just read the study. (laughs) That's all. Anyone, like the uh, Pfizer study for its vaccine, right, that everybody's getting these days, Anyone who read that study and that study's in this book 
You can just see the results of it there in black and you would not take the vaccine. I guarantee you if you actually saw their study. So this is important. This is how pandemics, by the way, even that word you need to be careful with because there's a definition for pandemic and, and this does not equal it. Our current, you know, COVID does not equal that, but that's all you will ever hear is someone will refer to it as the pandemic. It's not, it might be an epidemic. It's not a pandemic. So mm -hmm. just keep that in mind. But here in this chapter, uh, RFK Jr. goes over the previous, quote, pan pandemics and shows how manufactured they were. So let me just read this one. This was 1976. You and I will remember this. The swine flu. Mm hmm. Okay, yeah. let's just dig down into the swine flu a little bit. As chief of the NIAID's clinical physiology section of the Laboratory of Clinical Investigation, Dr. Fauci was, in 1976, a frontline spectator during the NIH's bogus swine flu pandemic. Let me pause there. So Fauci is not yet the head of the NAIAD, but he's like next in waiting. He's the next guy to become the head, actually. But he's, okay. he's watching how this unfolded. So that year, a soldier at Fort Dix died of a lung ailment following a forced march. Army physicians sent some samples to the CDC, which identified the malady as a swine flu. Dr. Fauci's NIAID boss, Richard Krauss, labored with his CDC counterpart, David Sensor, to spread terror of a catastrophic pan, there you go, pandemic and initiate public demand for a vaccine. The NIAID chief convened in-house strategy sessions with Merck's iconic vaccine developer, Maurice Heilemann and other immunization industry nabobs. <laughs> His vocabulary is so funny. Congressional investigators subsequently landed the notes from those consultations in which Dr. Heileman candidly confesses that the resulting vaccine, quote, had nothing to do with science and everything to do with politics. In the August 2020 Rolling Stone, Gerald Posner, author of Pharma, Greed, Lies, and the Poisoning of America, recounted how Merck and other manufacturers utilized their secret meeting with the regulators to hatch a scheme that would guarantee industry profits while shielding pharma from liability. This innovation, now a persistent feature of Big Pharma's business model, turned out to be carte blanche for negligent and even criminal behavior. Pharma and NIAID told Congress, the White House, and the public that the Fort Dix swine flu was the same strain responsible for the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, which they warned had killed 50 million people worldwide. They were lying. Scientists at Fort Dix, the CDC, and the HHS knew that the H1N1 was an ordinary pig virus posing no risk for humans. Nevertheless, NIAID conducted a hard sell campaign warning of one million deaths in the United States. Working with the pharmaceutical companies, NIAID, CDC, and Merck persuaded incoming President Gerald Ford to sign a bill appropriating $135 million for vaccine manufacturers to inoculate 140 million Americans against the pestilence. At the behest of federal regulators, Ford appeared on TV urging all Americans to get vaccinated. Ford's obligatory references to the 1918 Spanish flu, mass fatalities, 
inspired some 50 million U.S. citizens to hotfoot it to their local health center for injections of hastily concocted, shoddily tested, zero liability vaccines that HHS and Merck conspired to rush to market. CDC Director David Sensor set up a swine flu war room to bolster public fear amongst an enthused media. The government launched a full-scale promotional campaign, including terrifying TV commercials depicting remorseful patients who dodged their vaccination and suffered serious illnesses. A CDC press release claimed that popular TV star Mary Tyler Moore had taken the jab. Moore told 60 Minutes she'd avoided the shot due to her concerns about side effects. She said that she and her doctors were very happy she didn't get it. In the end, the actual number of pandemic swine flu casualties in 1976 was not 1 million, but one. The Fort Dix guy? The Fort Dix guy. Now, you could almost read that as if you are talking about six months ago, couldn't oh, you? Oh, goodness, yes. That's why you got to know the historical context of this stuff. So my point with that is Fauci was watching all that go down. And then he did it with the HIV. Thing. And he did it with AIDS big time and, uh, and other stuff. But yes, that's how this stuff happened. So all these people get vaccinated for nothing. The vaccine's no good, probably does you some harm. Maybe not, though, right? In fact, you probably might not even notice anything. But there was no, quote, swine flu. And it sure wasn't the Spanish flu. They're lying to you. How can you read that, you know, in history and then look at today's news and believe believe them? Or, you know, how can it at least not be in your mind that you need to be careful with what you're told? through the mainstream media. So, you know, I could read, here's some predictions from that Niall Ferguson guy, right, about COVID will kill 150 million people and so on. And you're just going, you're just, I mean, none of that is accurate. So. Well, and it's, it's global now because, you know, it was Oxford, scientists that yeah, came, came out with those extravagant estimations of death and yeah that's Niall it's, Ferguson. it's not it's yeah it's, oh was it okay so mm-hmm. it's not it's not just Fauci and United States no it's the stuff they control right through their grants and foundations and and they have people that willingly work with them but um so it's all controlled and they manu that's why I say they called that swine flu a pandemic one person Hampton one but they called it a pandemic so just like you know with the police shootings all you will ever hear is that this is a pandemic it's not the last thing the last thing I read it came out a couple months ago was in a journal called toxicology today or toxicology reports they suspected that you know to date so again that was this data is two months old, about 23,000 people had died of COVID. So that's not a pandemic, not not even close. That's less than a normal flu season. So anyway, here's the most, where do you see this? You gotta, hopefully I can describe this well enough that you can form this picture in your mind because I'm looking at a picture. He, He includes this in the book. So, Again, RFK has access to a lot of data, Hampton, a lot. I mean, he's spent the last 40 years fighting these guys, and he's a good researcher. You got to filter out his stuff like nabobs. (laughs) That was actually kind of a mild thing for him if you read the other stuff. Did he call anybody a nimrod? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've come across that one yet. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, so he, you know, through freedom of information and so on, he, he's got data you're not going to see anywhere else. So he has one of Fauci's emails. So he obviously has thousands of his emails, but this one is just as a picture in the book. And you'll see why it's as a picture in a second. So um, 
one of the greatest, maybe the most entertaining sports event in America is the NCAA basketball tournament. Right. I know, I know the Olympics are great, but I'm telling you for raw excitement, nothing equals that tournament. It's one and done. I mean, you have giants getting upset in the first round often. I mean, it's the most exciting thing. I mean, there's so many buzzer beaters and so on. So the way they set that up is with a bracket and that's how people bet on it. And I do this against my wife every year. So we've been married 20 some years, 96, 25 years. I've won once. My, my wife who knows nothing. She's, <laughs> I mean, she's a good sports fan. She's not, you know, illiterate of basketball, but I mean, she doesn't follow the teams during the season. I do. And she killed, I, I'm not even close to her every year. She's like, Oh, I think I'll pick um, Kinesius. Cause I like that coach's tie, you know, well, they upset Duke in the first round, you know, mm-hmm. she went, I, I beat her once. So anyway, Imagine an NCAA bracket and there's 64 teams. They have some playoff play in games, but essentially once the tournament starts, you get 64 teams. So 16 in each bracket and they're labeled according to the compass, though, though that doesn't necessarily correspond to where your school's located, right? You, you could be Duke and be located in the West. You know, okay. as far as the bracket is concerned. Okay. But, so it's east, west, north, and south. So you have 16 teams in each of those brackets. And after the first day, you got 32 teams, right? There mm-hmm. were, right? So after the second day, you're down to 16. And that's called the Sweet 16. Right. Then there's a few days off. Then they play again. And now you're down to eight. They call that the Elite Eight. Then you're down one more game to the Final Four. Once you get to the Final Four, uh, those four teams play. Now you're down to two. And then there's a winner. So imagine a bracket drawn out that way. Tony Fauci has that in his email but it's with viruses, 64 viruses, West Nile, Ebola, polio, Zika, hepatitis B, they're in brackets. Do you want to guess the winner of the tournament? I can tell you. COVID? (laughs) COVID COVID-19 played off against Ebola in the finals and COVID won. Now, what do you suspect is in his mind? I mean, it's just this thing, right? It's just that brag. Why would you do that? Why, Why would you conceive of it, of the issues that way? Does it sound like you're trying to win something? Or you're trying to figure out which virus to use to accomplish your goal. To to win, yeah. Which one is going to be the one that will allow you to win. And so here's, I mean, that's just in his email. I'm not making that up. RFK is not making that up. Fauci drew it. It's his handwriting. There's a big circle over, you know, coronavirus is the chance. And then his name, Tony F., is circled like as the winner and you how bizarre is that yeah so oh gosh so here's one of the things that would create a winner that he learned um back in the 80s with aids um as aids you know that's primarily attacked in africa these days it's still around in the U.S. There's still plenty of drugs given for it. But the, the thing that complicates the AIDS virus is that the drugs like AZT and the other terrible drugs they give you to combat that, the symptoms of those drugs look exactly like AIDS. So when someone dies from taking AIDS medicine, they go, no, he didn't die of the medicine. He died of AIDS. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, then doesn't that, that drug give you those symptoms? No, no, he died of AIDS. So how 
could you ever scientifically um, penetrate that veil? What are they actually dying of? So with COVID, what does the vaccine give you? COVID. So how, when someone dies of that, did they die of the vaccine or did they die of COVID? Because the symptoms are the exact same. That's what he learned. So how are you going to defeat that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's tough, right? You'd have to have honesty to defeat that. You And we don't have honesty. So that's what he learned how to do. So can you imagine how many dollars are going to be in our budget next year to fight COVID that's going to go through Tony Fauci's hands? No, I don't know how much. Trillion dollars? I, that'd be my guess. How much power is that? And I don't think he puts it all in his bank account. I know, I know he doesn't. But the power of that, everybody owes you their job. And RFK's got plenty of examples in here of people going. There are good people in those institutions. You know, some of them speak up and you do that once and then you're out. All right. Some of them will actually read the studies. Then you'll be out. Remember, we talked minutes ago about uh, double blind placebo. The Pfizer study started that way. You, you can't get a study approved unless you're going to have that in your study. Mm -hmm. So they all start that way. They unblinded it after a couple months. Now, why would you do that? Because they're getting terrible results, right? So now they need to know. And they switched plenty of people around in the groups. So all your data is screwed up. And they do that on purpose. So it's impossible to pin them down on stuff. And then they will say, look, this guy in the control group died of um, COVID. And so they've now they've got a statistical number. Mm -hmm. And they'll stop the study early and go, see, it's safe and effective. It saves percentage wise, you know, X percent of the people compared to how many, well, they don't even tell you how many people died of the vaccine. Literally, there's a little asterisk and you got to go look at what that was. Five extra people died. They just didn't include that in their numbers. How, how do you not include that? That's what you're studying to find out. They just don't include it. I'm, I'm telling you, this world is the most sordid part of fallen humanity you've ever studied, the virology world. It's, it's incredible. So all that back to our um, core beliefs. Let me read our core. COVID is man-made, never been, according to my source, right? That's one of these um, core beliefs, my source for this is Judy Mikovits. At some point, maybe I'll explain exactly why that would be my source, but she's my source. Never been a SARS-CoV virus. This is two, right? Neither SARS-CoV-1 or SARS-CoV-2 ever been found in nature. That means it's man-made. Now, you're going to hear rumors, but it'll just be false science. So I would encourage you, you hear a rumor, oh, they found it in this monkey, blah, blah, blah. Go look at that data. Don't just believe the news report. Go get the data and look at it. My guess is you'll find, no, they didn't, because they don't want you to conclude it was man-made. So in other words, there was no leak from a Wuhan laboratory. Yes, Fauci was funding research there, but it's not like this thing leaked out and now it's spreading around the world. That's not what's happening, I don't believe. So my belief is COVID is man-made and it's part of taking over the world, the globalists. We'll, we'll get into that maybe with Bregan. That's another good book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators. But my core belief, COVID-19 is man-made, part of a takeover of the world. Next one, there are many people smarter than me in every subject, Hampton. I bet you most mm -hmm. of the theologians you deal with are so far beyond me. It's not even funny. <laughs> what I promise to do with theologians is outread them in my bathtub. 
that's where I do most of my reading. <laughs> don't, don't drop your Kindle then. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've done that. I had to get a new one. This I know. Yeah. Your hands get slippery and that thing just falls right in there. <laughs> so, but the, the point of that, it, that's a critical point for everybody, right? I'm not, I don't feel like I'm smarter. I don't have that in me. I am the average guy. Well, and I think that a lot of the uh, new, I will call them experts like Daniel Horowitz, you know, his expertise is judicial things, mm-hmm. but you know, he started noticing inconsistencies yes. and started doing lots of research. And um, I feel like he is a really good source of information and, you know, he's outside of his area of expertise, but he's a smart guy and he's yes. reading and, and there's several people like that, that there are and the there information be, is there. Just go look. Yes. And the, there can be advantages to being outside a field because you're not coming with preconceived ideas. You're just looking at data. Right. Right. So if you know how to research and you know how to read, it's often very helpful to read um, non-experts in the field. Very helpful. That's why I said Dell Bigtree, he's not a virologist. He doesn't have a medical degree. He's very important to listen to. He's been around that field three or four years in depth. Mm-hmm. He's, he's very sharp in it. So anyway, you got the point, right? Yeah. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm the average guy, but I'm not, not going to be outworked. Yeah. So okay. then then the final final one though, Hampton, the ultimate key to truth is source. So what I wanted to do today to wrap up, if we could, I'm just going to read one last thing. This is John chapter 17. You know, this is famous. This is Jesus's last prayer before he goes to the cross. So, As I read John 17, listen for the things we like source. Listen to that sort of stuff. So important. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he looked upward to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Just as you've given him authority over all humanity so that he may give eternal life to everyone you've given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me at your side with the glory I had with you before the world was created. I've revealed your name to the men you gave me out of the world. They belonged to you and you gave them to me. They've obeyed your word. Now they understand that everything you have given me comes from you because I've given them the words you've given me. They accepted them. And really understand that I came from you. They believe that you sent me. I'm praying on behalf of them. I'm not praying on behalf of the world. But on behalf of those you've given me. Because they belong to you. Everything I have belongs to you. And everything you have belongs to me. And I've been glorified by them. I'm no longer in the world. But they're in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them safe in your name that you've given me so that they may be one just as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them safe and watched over them in your name that you've given me. Not one of them was lost except the one destined for destruction so that the scripture could be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you. And I'm saying these things in the world so that they may experience my joy completed in themselves. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. 
I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world and I set myself apart on their behalf so that they too may be truly set apart. I'm not praying only on their behalf, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their testimony, that they will all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I'm in you. I pray that they will be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. The glory you gave to me, I've given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, you in me they may be completely one so that the world will know that you sent me you've loved them just as you've loved me father i want those you've given me to be with me where i am so that they can see my glory that you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world righteous father even if the world does not know you i know you these men know that you sent me I made known your name to them and I'll continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. That's John chapter 17. Amen. Amen. Good way to end. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will talk to you next, next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Mm -hmm.